Everyone, welcome to Bradcast, the official radio show and podcast for the Society of Graduate Students here at Western. And we're joined here with my co-host Francesco Colosimo and our guest Michaela Colterist Reed. Welcome to our show, Michaela. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So, Michaela, tell us about yourself. How did you come to find Gradcast, for example? <laughs> okay, so um, my I'm a first year student, so I'm MSc one in psychology in the oh. social personality developmental psychology cluster. Um, my background is in communications and marketing. And um, I did a few courses in undergrad in psychology, but I worked in marketing industry um, in a bunch of different places and spaces for about seven years. And it's always been a goal of mine to re return to school and to complete graduate work because I really love research. I love the process of it. I think that, um, I don't know, I'm just a curious uh, academic at heart. And so I knew that I wanted to come back one day. It was just a matter of timing. So I found myself in London, Ontario and uh, Western is a great choice and it was a great fit. And so here I am. And also I love podcasts. So I listen to podcasts all the time. I have my own podcast. And so wow. as soon as I saw an opportunity to come and chat with you on Gradcast, I thought I can't pass it up. So that's how I found myself here today. And I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Well, we're glad to have you too. Well, firstly, congratulations for, you know, getting back to school after working in the industry for a bit. I think that's really great. And, and thank you for choosing Western. I think all of us <laughs> love Western as well. Um, I paid well, for this advertisement though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're here. So, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your research. Okay, so I was just telling Francesco, <laughs> I originally booked this appointment with the very lofty goal of having a project well underway by this point in time. I thought it would light a fire under my behind. And I'm still finding myself in the very early stages um, because as you probably know, as established graduate students, it's not so linear or straightforward all the time. So I've been very humbled by this process so far. Um, but my curiosity um, is really about beliefs and attitudes um, and people's like motivations, behaviors, dynamics of the relationships that people have with themselves and with other people and how beliefs and attitudes really drive those relationships and drive mm -hmm. what happens um, within them. So, I mean, I remember in my undergrad, maybe second or third year of communications, I learned about the theory of cognitive dissonance, uh, which is basically, I'm not sure if you're familiar um, with cognitive dissonance theory, but it's, it's how, um, it's the idea that you, when you hold two thoughts or cognitions at the same time in your mind that conflict with each other, there's an inherent um, discomfort and you're very motivated to resolve that discomfort. And so what I wanted to know was, you know, how do people figure out the process of aligning beliefs and behaviors that are different yeah. or um, yeah, just 
trying to find a resolution for those things within themselves and how does the process of trying to align those things how does it affect you know your relationships how does it affect your consumer decisions coming from you know corporate and like nonprofit background how does it affect like your religious and spiritual practices in your faith life that's something that's very personally um, meaningful to me so that's what I'm curious about and that's where that's where I hope my research is going to go so this is really fascinating. So I do philosophy and we've also studied concepts such as beliefs, attitudes, the relationships, and the psychological part is really fascinating as well. I was thinking, is cognitive dissonance a bad thing or could it also be a good thing to function in life and not have to feel, I don't know, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, you know, I think that I'm kind of in a place now where I try not to be too quick to attach value, um, a value to something. And by value, I mean, like label it as good or bad, right? So mm -hmm. for me, a lot of these things just are, and it's about the manifestation of how these things work out in the various aspects of your life that can make them either positive or negative. Um, so I do think that there is a lot of value to having this tension, this cognitive dissonance. I think that that's a really valuable um, thing that we can use to make good decisions and to make decisions that keep us safe and healthy and all of that. Um, and there's a lot of social benefit, obviously, to resolving cognitive dissonance, but that dissonance has to exist in the first place to do that. So I definitely think that there is, I mean, there's positive and negative. I think it's there's two sides of one coin and it just depends on where you're coming from. Yeah, like Yusuf said, that's a very interesting concept. Uh, I think it's really interesting how there's more and more psychology co uh, concepts being integrated with economics um, and marketing and so forth and so on. And um, I guess I was just wondering how cognitive dissonance, if at all, is worked into marketing strategies, for example, um, when someone is marketing and creating marketing strategies for a product or a service or something like that, do they kind of figure, okay, this person might be thinking this, or they might be having conflicts about this. So let's kind of try to address that with our marketing strategies. Yeah, um, that's a great question. And, you know, I have a really good example of this. A lot of marketing a lot of marketing strategies, from my experience, they um, they capitalize on this idea of cognitive dissonance um, by using identity, right? So, for example, I saw a sign on someone's lawn just yesterday that said, "Be kind, wear a mask." So, whether or not where you are on the idea of wearing masks or not or whatever in COVID-19. I mean, at the time of this recording, uh, we're almost a year into a global pandemic. So this is top of mind for everybody. Um, but that statement, be kind, wear a mask, like that's an advocacy campaign. That's, um, it's kind of like, it's promoting a behavior as an alignment to someone's identity as a kind person. So I think that where cognitive dissonance comes into play with this is that, you know, a marketing company or a not-for-profit or government will say, will say, you are this type of person or you identify with this characteristic and the type of person that identifies with this characteristic 
does this behavior. So if you're not doing this behavior, you're now going to have cognitive dissonance if you think of yourself as this type of person, right? So they really play on that identity, um, that identity piece. And you'll see this all like everywhere in marketing um, campaigns, everywhere in marketing messaging. And it's so subtle sometimes, but that's really the core of how marketing works. It's you know, who is the type of person that you want to be? It has nothing really to do with the price of the product or the product itself, or even really the quality a lot of the time. It's about identification and how identifying yourself with a certain behavior or a certain product makes you more of who you want to be or distances you from who you don't want to be. Wow. There's so much to unpack as well. I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, and I was thinking, how can... Michaela, how come beliefs, we have certain beliefs, but we don't, we often don't act upon our beliefs. We act as in a way that would be characterized as maybe not rational, even though we know what's true or false, or what we, we believe so. Why does that happen that our, our, our behaviors are not often corresponding well to what we believe? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's part of what I want to know in my research, right? There's, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm still um, scratching the surface, but there's a lot of literature out there that has tested a lot of these questions, you know, why, what is it that makes us have a belief and not behave accordingly? Like there's so many, there's so many reasons why that might be. It might be, um, family pressure, it might be lack of self-control, it could uh -huh. be, you know, something is overriding um, a habit that you have that might not allow you to act in alignment with that belief. And so that's, that's the curiosity, that's the golden question. And I'm still trying to figure out how to distill that down into something that's a little bit um, original. And that's like kind of a new angle on, on the question of beliefs and behaviors. I guess I was thinking, how, how did you come to be so fascinated in cognitive studies in this part, especially given that you had seven years of work experience in marketing? Um, what was that factor that said, okay, Michaela, you've got to apply for the master's and you're going to do good. What, what happened? Yeah, well, I think part of why I wanted to be in you know, in a grad program anyways, because I really enjoy and appreciate the space that's given to just ask these questions and oh. have permission to explore them fully. Um, and I think what drove my specific interest in this specific topic is just my own grappling with different philosophical ideas. Do you know, like I was raised with Christian background. I was raised like pretty not strict but like structured religion you know and you know as you if you've been a part of any of those structures you know that there's people that believe or claim to believe one way and don't act the same way that they claim to believe right and so you know for that kind of a thing for faith and religion and spirituality i think the stakes are so high that it begs the question why like why is that still so prevalent wow even when the stakes are so high, right? And I'm so yeah. interested in that and interested in like the resolution of the beliefs and the behaviors and the deconstruction of the beliefs and like the resulting behavior. So all of that really is kind of um, the driving force, but then it applies to all these other types of, of things as well. I think most of us have felt this uh, 
to some degree. I know when I came to university and I just saw a course in philosophy, what's this? You can ask questions like, is there knowledge? Am I dreaming? Is there a God? <laughs> what? These are, the, these are the questions that have bothered me, but I can't ask because people will say, you've lost your mind. And finally, you can ask yeah. them and not be ridiculed. So that was a good change. Totally. Thanks for sharing that. that. Sorry. Totally. Yeah. And like, I think it's so fascinating how a lot of these kind of questions or issues really boil down to why people, you know, choose to do the things that they do, why they choose to behave and 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 or buy the things that they do um and that's the question you know a lot of disciplines have been asking um like for a long long time and um i don't know how far you in your you are in your research but are there some aspects or some factors that you're specifically seeing that you know maybe if someone believes this way um they're more likely to act in this behavior i know um, you mentioned religion. Um, have you come across politics? Like, for example, um, someone who, you know, considers themselves politically affiliated with one side, you know, maybe should act a, a similar way and then maybe marketers can, or sorry, should act in a way and, and marketers can go for that. Or have you come across that at all? Yeah, a little bit. And, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to cite certain authors because I don't have anything on the top of my head right now. But I will say that um, initially, when I first started um, at the beginning of the semester, I was looking into doing research around like um, mask wearing behavior in COVID-19. And what, like, what are the what are the tendencies and what are the characteristics of people who wear masks versus people who don't? And specifically in the United States where it's very politically connected. So, you know, you have the left-leaning liberal side, you know, all about mask wearing and all about like taking COVID-19 seriously and all about like social distancing behaviors, all those types of things. And then you have, you know, hard right-leaning this doesn't exist, this is ridiculous. We're gonna get together and have thousand person rallies and be really close and breathing on each other just to prove that this is like a hoax and whatever. So I think that that was really interesting. And where I was kind of going with that was, you know, is there, I mean, when you have a, okay, point one, <laughs> is there a way to specifically um, predict, you know, based on a certain number of characteristics or inputs say with like AI or something, or even like when it comes to, I mean, I won't, I won't go down the road of profiling, but yeah. um, is there a way to reliably predict, you know, the likelihood that you're going to get COVID-19 in a specific geographical area or based on the people that are around you or anything like that? Like that was a really interesting question. And then the second part of that, which is more around the marketing messaging piece, how do you get people to comply with public health recommendations, Hopefully. even though they may be anywhere on the spectrum, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, the greater good is the priority. So it actually like, it doesn't even matter if you do or don't believe that COVID may or may not be a thing or that this is an effective way to prevent the spread or anything like this what needs to happen according to public health officials is that we need to slow this thing down and people need to comply in order to do it. So how do we tailor the marketing messaging um, based on where people are on the spectrum? 
And I think what was coming up in, you know, in the reading and in the discussions was that, you know, there's a certain group of people that more identify with like hard patriotism, collectivism, you know, this is a fight, this is this. So that type of language would cater more to those people for pers persuading them to comply. And, you know, on the other side of things, there's this idea that we need to do the right thing. Like this is for the greater good of everybody else. And this is not about us versus them. It's about everybody. And so, you know, doing your part is a great kind of marketing message, for example, for that group. And so, I mean, there's, there's way more that could be elaborated on here, but I think that those are some very interesting, um, very interesting thoughts that developed for you know, how to practically apply something like this and how to practically apply like persuasion messaging and persuasion research to, to achieve a very tangible and very critical goal of slowing down a pandemic. Wow. Well, let me move on to, to a more sort of perhaps more theoretical aspect of cognitive dissonance. I was thinking, uh, is there some... Um, research about personality types or personality disordered people uh, with the amount of cognitive dissonance they might be experiencing. For instance, I thought of, say, the narcissistic personality disordered person might have low empathy, might be uttering two, two things at the same time and not feel any discomfort from it. Um, is, is there some interesting research about these sorts of things? Yeah, you know, I actually found... Um... In one of the papers that I was reading recently, they did talk about, um, I can't remember the exact term, self-regulation or self-monitoring it was. So people that are high in self-monitoring tend to have more cognitive dissonance than people who are yeah. low in self-monitoring, which makes perfect sense. So I yeah. think this is a really interesting, like combining personality and seeing how that affects variability in cognitive dissonance that people experience is also something that I want to investigate in my research. Wow. Thanks. Yeah, that is that is truly interesting. And you really hit home for me um, when you talked about public health and, um, you know, the way in which we message certain things to the public to then create a certain behavior, for example, um, you know, wearing a mask or social distancing or any other of the safety measures that we would like to, you know, be like to see. Be put in. Um, and I guess there's no way of you knowing, but in, in your, um, you know, opinion, how should they be framing some of the messaging around the vaccine? Um, I know it's, it's already starting and it's already going on. And, and I know, you know, everyone's hearing about the skepticism around it, um, you know, maybe because it was developed so quickly or, or, and maybe because, you know, this is such a novel disease. Um, how do you think, you know, they could go about messaging um, and communicating the safety of the vaccine, maybe, you know, integrating some psychological concepts? Yeah, that, you know, that's a great question. And I think it's something that's definitely probably being worked on um, yeah. by, you know, hired marketing consultants from the government anyway. But I, I mean, here's the thing. People are not typically convinced by logic, right? So there's this yeah, kind of Absolutely. Thing, like there's a saying that you can't reason somebody 
out of an opinion or an idea that they didn't reason themselves into. And I think that that's really, in, that's really good to remember. And I think that another part of this discussion is, you know, what's the ethical boundary with the methods of persuasion that mm -hmm. you're using? Even if it is for the greater good, we still have to keep that balance in mind, right? So, you know, when you come to emotional appeals, when you come right. to like graphic representation of, um, you know, some of the effects or the long-term detriment that this could cause, you know, where's the line? What line do we draw? I mean, with smoking, they've put like, you know, horrible graphical things on the packages of smoking to deter people from something that is, you know, like it's proven to be deadly and unhealthful or whatever. And so I think that those are the questions that need to be asked. I think that emotional appeals, I think that knowing, um, knowing your audience, first of all, um, is, mm -hmm. is, is kind of the first step because when it comes to marketing and messaging too, there is no one size fits all, especially Absolutely. for something like this, right? Like if you're, if you're a brand and you have a niche audience and a niche like customer profile, that's one thing, but this is like, we need to like go far and wide and get everyone to comply as far as possible. So you have to start tailoring the messaging to some of those personality characteristics, to some of those pol political leanings, um, to all of those different demographic uh, categories that's going to help it to land and persuade people to do what is in the best interest of the, the greater good. I mean, I quite agree with you, uh, just based on my own experience as well. Logic plays a very little role in convincing people. It's, it's a lot more about other virtues such as patience or just listening and building trust. Those things go so much further than uh, A, B, and C reasoning going on. I thought also that maybe in terms of your, when you spoke about audience and how we should make sure we know whom we're speaking to, to perhaps when it comes to conspiratorial, conspiratorial minded people, we should maybe make a conspiracy that, oh, vaccines don't take them. They, they might harm, they will harm you and use reverse psychology to, to, to maybe ensure that they, they take. Uh, vaccines. I don't know. I'm just going on a tangent. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting too, because some of the reading that I've been doing about um, specifically about attitude change around COVID-19 has been talking about, you know, how to, it's less about changing people's minds who are committed to a certain way of thinking and more about kind of just containing those opinions where they are so that they don't mm -hmm. spread really fast and affect too many other people. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it, it would, I haven't seen the numbers as to, you know, polling as to who, you know, uh, would comply with a vaccine or not, or mask wearing or not, or whatever. Um, but I do think that, in certain areas, you just kind of have to take what you can get. And if what you can get is good enough, then containing the sources of error and fake news and all mm -hmm. of that might be your best strategy forward. And so I think that, um, you know, in my reading, I, I read that there's, there's several ways that there are to do this. And one of the ways is by kind of priming people with what to expect from fake news or from conspiracies so that when they come up against them, they're, they're more um, almost like guarded. So they're more ready to see mm -hmm. it for what it is and they don't necessarily absorb it as truth right away. That's, yeah, that's a really good point. And um, 
you know, more so than ever, there's a ton of information coming out right now. And there's a ton of information that's really important to your health, but also public safety and public health. Um, and I guess on the flip side, there's an equal amount of misinformation and fake news. And, and it often, you know, can be really hard to tell which is correct, which is not. Um, and, and I know you have um, an extensive show, social media background. Um, do you think, um, you know, using social media will be one of the catalysts and kind of best ways to combat misinformation and making sure, you know, the public is getting all the best information possible? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the answer to that is twofold. So I feel like above all, you need solid, credible sources of science and like health related information. And that's kind of where, um, that's where, you know, government and WHO and those types of organizations come in. So those, it's really important for them to have an active and consistent social media presence and consistently be communicating things. Um, now, the other side of that, which is interesting is that people, you know, in personal, in like branding and social media for, you know, personal brands and small businesses, there's the no like and trust factor, right? So when it comes to like influencers, for example, there are going to be people who will listen to influencers, you know, mm. as a level down from, you know, the official information that's out there. So they may not be able to digest something um, very scientific, or they might not really pay as much attention to it. But when that is then reinforced by say a person that they really respect online, I think that plays a huge role. So you see some celebrities and maybe even some like micro influencers too, taking a stand for certain health practices. And that makes a big difference. And so while those people are not necessarily contracted, I think that they're recognizing their role um, in using their platform for, for good. Well, we're almost at the end of this uh, episode. Uh, I guess I just I wanted to just add as well that when it comes to conspiracies, going back to the previous point, uh, whenever someone shares a conspiracy, something like, oh, the, you know, the moon landing didn't, you, you're one of those people who think the moon landing, landing happened, I think you should respond with another conspiracy like, oh, you're the one, one of the, those people who think there's a moon. <laughs> and uh, usually that diffuses the situation. I think on that note, uh, I ask, <laughs> <laughs> is there um, is something you'd like to share uh, uh, for social media with us? Yeah, so I am on Instagram at the Michaela Victoria, and I'll share the handle with um, you lovely people so that you can get that wherever it needs to go. And also, um, I'll share my LinkedIn too. So it's Michaela CR, and that can also be shared as well. Okay, that sounds great. Uh, so this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I've been your host, Yusuf, and my co-host has been Francesco Colosimo. Colosimo. Uh, we've been speaking with Michaela, called Tourist Breed, um, and this episode was produced by Gavin Tolomati. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we're on the radio at Western Radio Western, 94.9 FM. 
You can also find all of our episodes on our episodes at website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great night. Thanks, Michaela, once more for coming on our show.